Graphic Nature acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and future and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does. It is my opinion, without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation, that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. Comic books are pure evil. Satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell. How a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me. He has found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents them. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance will be mine. It'll be mine. It'll be mine. It'll be Welcome mine. to Graphic Nature, this very first episode of uh, a fortnightly podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers and people behind the printed pages and digital screens pushing the medium on into the future here in Australia and the world. I'm Zoran Ilyevsky and on this episode, the very, very first episode of Graphic Nature, the podcast, we have the ever amazing creator of Zombolet and Bug as well as Jesus Reloadeth, Scala Bacini. Welcome to Graphic Nature. Thanks for having me, Zoran. Now we're going to be talking about uh, your your career in comics, and I, I wanted to start off with: Do you read comics? <laughs> I do. I I have read comics. Mm-hmm. I don't read them as often as I probably should. I find that I read one, and then I get very excited about making comics, mm-hmm. and I do more making than reading, which probably means that the comics that I make could be better if I put more into my brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot coming out of my brain at the moment. Yeah. A Zombolet, which is what you've, you're most well known for. And there's also... Uh, Jesus Reloadeth. It was a standalone right. comic with a very naughty centrefold that <laughs> um, didn't go down very well at a particular convention. Um, but that was just a one-off. Uh, usually, yep, yeah, I'm still writing Zombolet, so I'd say that's what most people know of my work, but mm-hmm. I'm working on a few little other things as well now. Let's let's talk about Zombolet a bit more. Uh, what type of stories feature in Zombolet? Um, well, they're mostly about Zombolet and her friend Cameron, who's a, a huge guinea pig. It's mostly a buddy comedy about the two of them and mm-hmm. their friendship and about life and love. Um, I mean, to me, when I see it, it's about life and love and all this really wholesome and meaningful stuff. I think most people see fart jokes and... A zombie that's often naked. Yeah, I'm getting a lot out of it at yeah. least. <laughs> well, isn't that what we all create something for? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're gravitating towards love and... Yeah, friendship, friendship. Um, identity, you know, what's the point of it all? It's basically about a zombie who um, she can't remember her life before she died. Mm-hmm. So she's trying to discover herself uh, and she ends up finding a housemate who's a huge anthropomorphic guinea pig who's <laughs> whose job is to be a medical volunteer or mm-hmm. guinea pig. Yep. And they're sort of both working out their place in the world and what's it all for and a self aware zombie, that's uh that's, yeah. that's pretty good. Exactly. She's the idea <laughs> is that I think in her life when she was alive, she was a super genius. Mm-hmm. So when she was resurrected, you know, she got knocked down a few IQ points but is still just She's uh, still up there. Sentient. Yep. <laughs> And uh, so you did mention that you get a lot out of it. What is it exactly that you get out of it? I think I just can't help doing it. I feel like I get a lot of purpose and meaning and I feel like I kind of, I guess I make sense of things myself through that comic. I don't Mm -hmm. even know if anyone reads it anymore. You know, I, I put out one, I think, two years ago and forgot to even really market it or promote it. I think I'm just doing it because I have to. Mm hmm. For me, yeah, um, and I should make the effort to make it available for people to buy. But I think I have a feeling it's going to be one of those things that I'm doing until I'm a crazy old lady. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's really just for me and my well-being. 
earlier you mentioned that you, you don't really read as much as you think you ought to. Do you really think it's that important for a creator or a writer or an artist to read comics? Like, is it is it possible to to you know hone your craft without additional uh, yeah reading? I definitely I think that you can. I don't like to say that things should be done a certain way, but I'm sure that from putting things into your brain, you can learn some techniques that help you to mm-hmm. get what you want to get out, out, if that makes sense. So I, I think that, yeah, anyone can do a comic that can be incredible or inspired or, you know, it's really their way of doing it without any uh, knowledge of what they're doing or without really thinking about it. But I think it does help to see how other people have done it before. And I think you just end up with more tools in your toolkit, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So there's more places you can go with your own craft if you know what other people are doing. And I find that the more that I read, the more ideas I get, and the more the cogs are kind of going around and around. So I'm sure by not putting that information in, I'm depriving myself of a little bit of, um, you know, those resources. Yeah, yeah. And do you uh, do, do you find that looking at some of your creative heroes or, or, you know, the work that you admire, how much of that influences where you go in terms of comics, for instance, or for Zombolette? Um, I think it influences it quite a lot. And I think that's actually a little bit why I avoid it sometimes. Mm-hmm. That I worry that if I fall in love with something, I always think, oh, I want to do that myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think you can really suffer from getting stuck on these ideas that other people have already gone over. Yeah. Um, and, and so I feel like if I'm starting a new project, particularly I want to come in fresh and not have someone else's ideas whizzing around. But wouldn't you use them like as a, a start point or couldn't they also be like, you know, their their ideas but in your voice? Yeah, definitely. And I, I guess anything that comes out, it's always got your interpretation and your spin. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's uh, – I shouldn't spend too much time worrying about it. I should just do the thing. And I, I think I spend a lot of time thinking about what I'm doing mm-hmm. and I think that can really – uh, hold you back sometimes. And and do you find the same in, let's say, for instance, in your music? Is it the same kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. I feel like if I'm listening to something at the time, I end up wanting to do a lot of that thing. And if I can spend a lot of time getting out of my own head about it, mm-hmm. I come up with way more interesting material. Yeah, right. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So a bit of quiet time for Scarlet then. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so who are some of your heroes or some of your creative heroes? Creative heroes, oh, it's it's hard to have creative heroes now because they all end up having done something terrible. <laughs> I agree. Well, I think, but isn't that part and parcel of being an artist? I mean, not everybody does amazing things throughout their career. No, that's true. But I'm thinking even just morally abhorrent things. Like, you know, I, yeah. I grew up reading, uh, watching a lot of Ren and Stimpy. And mm-hmm. I loved it as a child and it made me... Are you going to spoil John Kay for me? I'm about to spoil Damn. John Kay for me. I think he was pervy. I think he did some pervy stuff. Um... I think that there are documents. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. That's disappointing. Disappointing. Um, and I guess, you know, it's really hard to separate the art from the artist. And so once mm-hmm. you know something about someone or even, and, and I guess this is the problem as well, that even if it doesn't turn out to be true, it sounds like in this case it happened. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I, I think it's really hard in, in this day and age because there are, you know, let's be honest, everybody's human yeah. and everybody's going to do dumb shit or they're going to have done something uh, that is probably not kosher for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and there's no way around it. And and sometimes, you know, I've seen, you know, some of my favourite uh, artists or writers say some really kind of dumb shit and you just go, really, oh, come on, <laughs> really. But I mean, you know, their lives are completely different. Their experiences are different. What they're going through is it different. It would be weird. Yeah, you know. It, well, it would be. But I think, you know, everybody has some sort of justification for where they're coming from. And although we may find something uh, that's abhorrent, uh, you know, from for whatever reason, I, I would like to think that on some level their art or a particular piece that they did really well stands alone from them as a person because i think once you know if a sculptor creates something amazing and then turns out to be a dumb shit it doesn't mean that that work is is not amazing anymore i think what happens is it colors your perspective of the person yeah 
uh, and the artist. But I think, you know, and I'm, I'm sure I'm getting myself into trouble here, but uh, I'd like to think that whether it's me being biased or placating uh, an artist's whims because of the work that I favour, uh, I find it hard to separate in, in the sense that, no, that work is still good. Uh, whether it's relevant anymore, who's to say? That's, you know, it's the eye of the beholder as far as I'm concerned, but I have a hard time looking at something that I really loved and then looking at the person that I now despise because of the stupid things that they've said. And I, I constantly struggle with that. It's a really difficult thing, especially now that we know so much about the people behind the art. You know, they used to be way more anonymous, but now it's impossible to be that. Mm. Um, and it is really difficult to separate those things. And I think it's almost impossible. Like, of course, the art is the art in itself, but that art really only meant something because of what you know about the world, right? Yeah. Like, you, the art is beautiful or meaningful or... Um, challenging or whatever it does to you it moves you i think because of what you know about the world mm -hmm. and because of where it sits in the world and once one of those artists does something that's terrible that becomes part of the world and it becomes part of what you know and so yeah. it you kind of you can't unknow it so i think it, it does forever change how you see and how the world sees that piece i agree and, and i think that's where i'm saying a lot of it for me is willful uh <laughs> Willful distraction, willful ignorance, or yeah, you or, have to try and kind yeah, of put it just out like in yeah, I can't that because I mean you know as you say once something is created and 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 you know you can't take that back yeah. and once something is said a lot of the times particularly uh, in res in regard to people's memory you can't take that back either no and and uh, what I'm saying is I just find it you know I I don't want that to color my uh, to colour my opinion of, let's say, a piece of art or, you know, uh, I don't want it to colour th the piece of art for me because that particular moment, that art meant something to me yeah. and it coloured my world. And then when uh, when the artist or creator comes out and says something stupid, it destroys that moment and disappoints me. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. emotional. And yeah. I think the way we engage with art is already emotional. And so you're bringing this whole other emotion into it. Maybe in some ways it even contrasts more because of that. You think this art or this piece represented something so good to me and something that really matched my yeah. values and that I love. And now, you know, I also know this part of this person and this creator that really goes against that. And, and I think it maybe that's a new way to interact with that art. You can really think about why it is that you loved it and why it was good and why that's bad. And you oh, know, I do that maybe, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in that way you can get more out of it. Personally, there are quite a few artists from the 90s and the early 2000s, uh, comics in the, in the American industry that um, I absolutely love. But they got away with stuff that nowadays just wouldn't fly. <laughs> yeah. And I was, you know, and, and I think the big part of that, and I've said this before um, to, to many people, I was coming of age at that time, you know, mid nineties where, where, you know, the dudes were muscled up and the women were drawn, you know, basically like playboy models. Uh, and, uh, I was a young man and, <laughs> you know, I looked at that and went, wow, they really can draw women. That, that's, that's pretty amazing. For some reason you just loved it. I don't know <laughs> yes, why. Like, holy moly. You know, I, I never thought of, you know, the patriarchal societies and uh, the influence that has and, and, you know, all that stuff that now as an older man, I go, okay, I get it. I, I know why I loved it. Um, do I love it anymore? Am I attached to it um, mentally or can I disavow it from from my love? I mean, I still see a lot of that kind of stuff and, you know, it's part nostalgia for me now. And, and on the other hand, I still go, wow, that's a really good drawing. Like that dude knows what he's doing. But then at the back of my mind, it's like, yeah, but, you know, really? And so it's, it's this constant struggle of going, well, I, I love it, but I don't know if I should. Yeah, but it's I love not right it. anymore. Yeah. We you know, know more now. We're so much more reflective, I think. It, well, absolutely. Well, you know, like I said, you know, being older now, <laughs> I mean, that was 20, more than 20 years ago. Um, and so it is, it is kind of hard to make that separation, I understand. Um, are there, are there, uh, is there anyone else other than John Kay? <laughs> uh, 
Um, I really loved, um, I can never say his name right. I don't actually know how to say it, but Jonan Vasquez. Oh, Hernan Vasquez, yeah. Hernan Vasquez? Yes. Yeah. Um, I read a lot of Johnny the Homicidal Maniac mm-hmm. as a kid. As did a lot of people. As did a lot of people. Um, that definitely had a big influence on me. Mm-hmm. I think it, you know, it was very cynical and I think a lot of things were then and I think I have gone through phases of being really cynical or expressing pretty cynical viewpoints and I think I'm coming away from it nowadays but I still really love his artwork yeah yeah and and how much how much do you think that's uh molded your art um I think it molded me in the way that well it made me think that what I wanted to do was doable in comics I think I hadn't seen a comic like that before Mm -hmm. I found him and then I thought oh this is the kind of art that I like making and oh maybe I can maybe I can make a comic based on, you know, the things that I like, the aesthetic that I like. Um, so, yeah, I think in that sense he did. Also, Bill Watterson, I'm a huge Calvin and Hobbes fan, yep. and I think that has left a, a lasting impression on me. And he's someone who's still so good. You know, yeah. he never did anything wrong. Um, just someone that, you know, was really true to his art. He didn't ever licensed Calvin and Hobbes to be sold as merchandise. You know, he could have made billions and just chose not to. And yeah. he stopped the comic when it should have been stopped. And it really seems like it was truly for love. And I think that has, um, you know, I loved those comics so much. And his attitude towards his work has definitely left an impression on me. And how did uh, how did you get into comics? Um, I think... Like, what was your avenue? I mean, yeah, a lot of people kind of, you know, they're either, they're either fanboys or they start out as fanboys when they get in or they look at something and they go, that's what I really want to do. Like, how was, what, was your, what was your path? I think for me, when I was really little, maybe even six, mm-hmm. my dad used to give me his Mad Magazine. Com- it was like the little thick chapter book sized yep. compilations and I'd read those before bed. Um, and I remember saying to him... I, I got really interested in the humor behind them and there were jokes that I didn't get and I couldn't understand why I couldn't get them. It's because I was a stupid six-year-old. Um, and Been I, there. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked him what makes something funny and I remember him really being stumped by that question. Yeah, right. Saying, you know, I want to I understand it. I want to, you know, get the mechanics of it so I can do it. And him saying, well, I think it's, you know, there's not – just a formula to it and I was really fascinated by that trying to get to the heart of that problem you know Mm -hmm. how do you make a thing funny um and then I think from around that age I started doing my own characters I think I had (laughs) a a little cat and mouse duo but it was instead of a cat and mouse it was a cat and a tin of cat food with legs (laughs) that would run around um and I just started making my own characters and I couldn't stop I feel like it was the only thing I've ever known to do is draw and make stories um and comics just felt like the right way to go with it because animating's hard <laughs> well i've seen people do it on videos and hell i wouldn't want to do it uh, every time i see it i think that's a bit hard i'm not doing that <laughs> <laughs> we're speaking with scarlett Bacini. we'll be uh, right back after this hey thanks for listening hope you're enjoying the show uh we are all over social media well, not all over it, but we've got a few. We've got Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please jump on Facebook and like us if you're enjoying the show, as well as following us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find all the details on the website, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much, and uh, continue listening to Scarlet. This has been a Graphic Nature public service announcement. Let's get back to Zombolette. What's your What's the process for developing, let's say, an idea uh, for, for Zombolette? Um, sometimes it's something that someone said or did or a particular theme that's coming up in life Mm -hmm. like uh, relationships or work or something that I've been pondering oftentimes it's my friend Dave and I having a coffee and making a silly joke and you know getting riled up I think I really should have David as a credit on every single thing that I do because I feel like I run everything by him (laughs) Um, Dave Abbott he's very clever he's out there if you want to see his work he's a clever man um, I, I was trying to think, what does Dave actually do? What does Dave do? <laughs> My friend Dave does um, like visual effects. Right. But And, and odds and ends, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, so they 
sometimes the seed of it comes from all different places. Yeah. And then you build on it by... Um, is it just that like that one moment that gives you an entire, entire, let's say, book's worth of material or do you expand on it? Or is it, is it literally, oh, that's one gag. I'm going to pop that on the second page. Um, I think it's often one gag that I turn into a story. I mm-hmm. think I got <laughs> really excited by the idea that guinea pigs have babies and sometimes eat them. And so I'm working on a story with Cameron. <laughs> Is that like a real thing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, so you've looked it up. Yeah. And, <laughs> and with little baby rodents, you know, some situations I'm sure they, they don't mean anything by it. Um, <laughs> but there's just something really awful and tragic. and um, Sounds like madness. Yeah, and just so sad. But I think there's a lot of emotional stuff in there that you can kind of... I think with a lot of art and stories particularly, a lot of it is just, you know, this thing that I've seen is a little bit like this feeling that's a little bit like this other thing that happens and you kind of weave these webs out of them. So I think it happens a lot when you're writing songs too. You go, um, you know, I read this thing about how atoms behave in this way and, oh, that's a little bit like people and it's a bit mm-hmm. like relationships and oh that's a bit like this other thing that happened to me and i feel like that's it's all connected yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's bizarre isn't it i mean yeah. I, I know you've got a background in science but one thing that always always surprises me is just how how the patterns of relation and uh interactiveness if that's even a word um between humans and animals and plants and atoms and how everything is the same yeah it's mind-blowing absolutely well everything just comes down to you know positives and negatives you know you can boil down everything into these weird binaries and so i feel like um everything relates to everything else in some way or another when, Mm. when you really think about it you know yeah, it's it's um, things are drawn to things or they're repelled by things. <laughs> That's kind of it. That's just it. That's just <laughs> life, isn't it? <laughs> did you ever did you ever uh, get in a situation where you're thinking of an idea, you had a concept, and you were working through it, and for for all wants and purposes, you just couldn't get through the next stage? Yeah, I've had one of those for since I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at something a little bit more finite, maybe more of a specific thing, but, no, but you know. My, my white whale idea. So we have fossil fuels mm. and I, I think there's a complex reason why we have fossil fuels, but part of the reason I think um, is that at one stage animal and plant material was dying and being buried in the earth, but there was no fungus consuming that material mm. and so it was left and compressed and at certain temperatures or whatever happens it turns into these fuels and then you get fungus evolving in the evolutionary tree and suddenly the fungus eats those things before they turn into fossil fuels and so i thought about this world where that um happened much earlier and it's like this mushroom world where don't give away any ideas oh yeah well now (laughs) they're all there this is proof that it was mine (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah this idea that um, in this mushroom world, all these mushrooms evolved super early and there were bajillions of them and it depleted the fossil fuels. And so we ran out of those fuels earlier and those resources and we had to come up with other technologies. And so it's this alternate universe mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so I had this fun world that I kept playing with and I kept thinking, oh, you know, you could have mushroom everything, mushroom gods and mushroom food and everything's mushrooms. And that would be really beautiful to draw. But I didn't really have a story. Yeah, right. Like I didn't have a, a person. I just had this like the character was the world and so I, I never really knew where to go with it hmm. yeah right and and have you have you experienced something similar uh, at all with Zombolette or is it always just kind of like bam that's it that's what I'm going to do uh Zombolette's much stupider so I feel like there's <laughs> there's fewer rules yeah right. <laughs> most of them I end up doing something with I actually have heaps of them as a backlog yeah right so I think okay. I have about five or six you know full-length comics ready to start writing and I have a few scripts that are done and I've just got to draw them now. Well, let's let's get on to <laughs> that. Uh, so what you're basically telling me is a lot of them have already been drawn. Uh, a lot of them have been outlined. Ah, right, plotted. okay, so you got outlines, okay, because yeah. you scared me for a second. I thought, holy fuck, that's a lot of work. <laughs> that's a lot of work. No, I'm not, I'm lazy, so yeah. <laughs> um, don't worry. <laughs> There's plenty of time. Plenty of, well, I'm hoping. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I have one that the draft is done, so I've just got to start penciling and mm-hmm. then inking, and hopefully that'll be out hopefully this year, maybe next year. 
that's that's an interesting thing. I mean, I get I get that a lot of a lot of people in in Australia have a hard time getting this stuff done. Have you ever thought of maybe finding another artist or a writer so then it makes the process maybe a little bit quicker? Um, I don't think I know another artist that is willing to make crap to the same degree that I am. Like it well, yeah. well, one person's <laughs> trash is another person's treasure. It seems to be. Well, but I do, you know, I think the best review I ever had of Zombolette was that someone said it is like something that's been torn out of the pages of a mental patient's diary. <laughs> well, and you know what, and that's that's the next question I did want to ask you is, is you know, what is criticism like and, and you know, do you take it on? How do you how do you deal with it? Particularly if it's bad. Like, I mean, everybody loves good criticism. Yeah, well, I think the thing about Zombolette is that it's... It's a bit outsider art and it's meant to be kind of trashy. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I like I say, I do it for me. So I kind of just go with what feels good. And yeah. It's got a real um, scrappy, culty, trashy, you know. It, it's allowed to be a bit yuck. Yeah. And um, so I loved that review. I loved <laughs> thinking about it that way. I think, um, I think the reviews that uh, make me kind of... Hmm, I mean, I don't mind. I can see why they feel this way, but I think some people just see it as fart jokes and yeah. it's just dumb and, you know. Yeah, I like fart jokes. Yeah, I like fart jokes too. Um, yeah, and that's fine, but I think that makes me think, oh, I'm not communicating the other points well enough. Maybe. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. And and so how does that colour the way you see it? Um, I think it makes me consider the clarity in my expression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think maybe I need to be more clear or maybe I don't I, I feel like Zombolette is the one place where I don't feel like I have to compromise too much it you know it's just it is what it is and I think that's what makes it good and I think that's why the people who love it I think that's why they love it you are willing to take the criticism on like let's say for the next issue or you, you think about you, you know you draw upon it and you let it kind of help you out or do you totally disregard it in some cases I think I disregard it mostly. I think if you look at, um, I think I had to Google myself for something reason recently, and Zombolette popped up, and it had a few reviews on no. Goodreads, and yeah. there were either like five stars or zero stars. I hate it. <laughs> wow. And but I think that's great. I think that's that's the, just hu- humans, isn't it? In general. Yeah, and also I think that's when you know that you're doing something that's not mediocre. It's, yeah. You know, I, I get sometimes people message me about Zombolette people that I don't know that say um you know this is me or um you know it's about friendship and it's about love and it's about all these things that I wanted and and I think yeah you know that that's those are the people I want it to feel that way Mm. for and if it doesn't connect with someone then that's probably really good um or or I have to tell myself that it is (laughs) yeah fair enough With, with all that in mind do you consider yourself heavily critical of your work um, I am of myself. I don't think anyone else minds if my comics are crap, so I don't worry too much about that. But I definitely spend probably more time than you'd think mm-hmm. mulling over the ideas and the execution and every page and, you know, making sure it's exactly perfect and how I want to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, I spend a lot of time being critical of that. And I like to sit on it for a long time to make sure it's really truly what i wanted to do yeah right that's that's uh, very interesting and and heartening to hear uh there was uh one comic that you did bug yeah uh, i think that was an exceptional book oh thank you uh it was very short was it eight or ten pages yeah only eight pages yeah and um there was no words in it yep and it was it was an amazing story like it was so well put together uh and I think it was one of the better comics that I've read from the indie scene in a very long time. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I'll just give us a bit of a background behind that because the the, uh, the 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 thing I loved about it the most was not only do you did you execute it with without any without any words, uh, or even in uh, no no bylines. I don't even, I don't remember what they're called, uh, but you know there was no. Um, there was no location. Uh, w- there was no location ex- uh, explanations. There were no words between the mother and the daughter. Uh, everything was just. It was superb story, just through imagery, um, and it was, you know, I, I, c- I couldn't fault it. And I remember reading it, and it really blew me away. Um, so I mean, you know, 
I mean, and I'm, I look, I'm nobody, but but the fact is, no, you're is, not nobody to me. So. No, that's good, that's good Scarlet. But <laughs> thank you, thanks for validating who I am. Um, but uh, you know, how, where did that come from, and how did that come about? Um, so that actually, it was an idea for a story that I'd had for a while, and then I heard about the Lord Mayor's Creative Writing mm-hmm. Prize that was coming up, and they wanted a graphic short story as one of the categories. Yep. So I thought, oh, this could fit for that. Um, and at the time, um, my little sister was only, oh, I think at that time she would have only been five, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, so she couldn't read and so I wanted to do it wordless because I wanted to do it about her and for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the story is basically, um, it, it's a young girl who finds a caterpillar. It's this strange bug with a strange face that she really connects with and loves and keeps it in a jar and she wants to keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it gets sick and of course she must let it go. Uh, and that was something that I used to do a lot as a kid. I would be obsessively scrounging for bugs and collecting them and showing my mom. And she was very squeamish. She really didn't like it, but would encourage me to go and do that away from her. Yeah, yeah. Fair uh, enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I think I wanted to show my sister that world of mine and connect with her on that and show her herself as well mm-hmm. in the world. So that's why I made it wordless like that. Um, in hindsight, I wish that I'd made it a little longer and done it as its own piece, you know, outside of that, um, the purpose that it was made for. I think it was only meant to be eight pages or something. They had a rule. Yeah. Um, perhaps. But, uh, y- yeah, because it was so short, it was really hard to publish. Like, I didn't quite know what to do with it. And for a while I thought, do I put it out as a pamphlet? Or I think I had it on the web. And then I thought, ah, I'll just print this little tiny short comic and it's yeah it's done really well uh yeah i thought it was i thought it was spectacular and the the pacing everything in it uh just worked so well it was a very beautiful tale uh and it's somewhere on my shelf but i haven't read in a long time and i can't really explain exactly what i thought of at the time but i but there was a lot of stuff in there that that it was it was literally the uh, just a, a wholesome story about a little girl and a caterpillar and in the and you know the end is is remarkable given that the story set up yeah uh well i thought anyway i mean that's that's my personal opinion i'm very glad to hear that but it yeah. was yeah it was it was a really really like it, it and i'm gushing about it because that's how much it affected me wow. i can't remember what was going on at the time for me but reading that book was really really quite um quite a strange feeling because you know, I'm usually reading about crazy shit. You know, and, you know, ah, uh, you know, uh, mutants or you know, God knows what, whatever you know, Marvel or DC or his you know horror comics or whatever the hell was being published at the time. And I read so many different different types of books. And you know, not only was this book uh, amazing, it was just a nice breath of fresh air at the time for me. Yeah, well, I think there's so many big stories that we get drawn to as grown-ups and I think when you're a kid the minutiae of your life feels really huge and sometimes those little moments Mm. are everything at that age and I think I really wanted to focus on those that little relationship you know it's just her and that bug and that their little connection and so I I wanted the rest of the world to feel kind of to disappear around them and it just to be about those emotions and I remember those feelings being huge when I was little, you know, just being devastated about loss over tiny things. And, you know, you see a kid purple and screaming with tears being dragged out of a shop and it's because, you know, their socks were wrong. <laughs> yeah, but it, <laughs> and that's hilarious. So funny. It's so good. And But for them it's real, you know, yeah. for them it really feels that big. You know, everything is huge. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I wanted it to be this little huge thing yeah and you touched upon something that's just reminded me i think the the way it dealt with the well you know spoiler alert the the death of the caterpillar well the rebirth yeah um i thought was was remarkable uh and and it's it's you know i I suppose dealing with death is always tough for a lot of people how how do you go well how do i write this metaphor how do i get this metaphor working in this book yeah, without any words. <laughs> with, yeah, not only without any words, but conveying the the conveying the weight of death as well as the importance how it relates to our world, our lives. 
and you know here I'm reading this <laughs> eight page book and I'm just going holy shit you know <laughs> I can't believe this thing's almost going to make me cry this is unbelievable oh, and so heavy <laughs> yeah you know and and uh, I mean I could keep talking about this book for for ages but it was it was a, a great piece of work and one of my favorites even to this day I've read a lot of stuff but nothing has ever kind of you know done the same thing I think it's it's probably my favorite thing that I've made it was one of those things that felt I think a story is really good when the ending feels inevitable mm -hmm. and I think it was that you know it was a neat little idea that had a, a neat little conclusion and that said everything that I wanted to say without having to do too much and I think yeah. that's always a good sign yeah and comics are such a great way to do that because I think the the fact that you're just choosing these tiny little slices of time to freeze you can say so much just even in the choices you make you know the if someone's decided to capture that tiny moment into a panel and then not this other moment, I think that even tells you so much about what's going on. You, you can get so much across with so little. And with that being said, do you find that like, books like Bug or, or even Zombolette, uh, you touch on it a little earlier, but living through being compelled to write these, to, to create these books, to write these books, to put these things together, these comics together, uh, is it a compulsion uh, to the point where you're you're exercising personal demons or, or something on some level, whether it's a personal demon or you know something really got in your craw the other day and it was just oh I'm going to use this as a as almost kind of like a, a meditation or, or something to escape from? Yeah, for me it is. I think, and I guess I'm sure it is for so many people, even in you know in, in strange ways. Sometimes it's just. Um, this thing was so funny to me, I can't stop thinking about it, this stupid idea. Mm -hmm. I have to put it down and see it. And I think that's often what it is. I think of like people like Ben Hutchings who make such hilarious things that are not even for anything necessarily. Maybe they end up in a compilation or they end up on Instagram and it's just, you know, a guy sitting there and then his lip comes up in a funny way and it's, you know, something like that that you can just fixate on and... Yeah, almost like a brain tickle or something. Yep. Yeah, I think that in lots of different ways it ends up just being something that you get stuck on or you're trying to work out or you're trying to see it so that you can get it out of your brain. Yeah. Yeah. And once you've got it all out of your brain and everything's said and done, what do you do with it? Well, for me, I just leave it there and don't show anyone. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I'm really bad at the other part because I guess this is the thing – with trying to make art, it, you know, for me, the first thing I'm doing is making it for me. But then there's the other thing where you make it so that other people can see it. And that seems to be an important part of yeah. having it, you know, making sense of why you're even doing You know, what's the point of it? Mm -hmm. um, but I think I, when I was younger, I used to draw all the time and I was never expecting anyone to see it. And I loved it. And I, I kind of don't ever want to stop doing it just for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I wonder if, you know, if I'll get to the point where I'm not even, I don't have time to publish them or promote them or show anyone that I, I think I'd still be doing it. I don't know why. Mm. And and so I'd imagine, I mean, I've seen you at conventions and, and you know, you're still selling, you're selling, you know, your Zombolet books and, you know, I saw Bug, you re even re did a reprint of that mm. fairly recently or a year or two ago. Uh, yeah, I think last year. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's pretty important that, people get their stuff out there uh, much like yourself and there's quite a few other comic uh comic producers creators around melbourne if, you know as we speak yeah. uh who are working on their stuff but i always find it almost impossible to to, to get somewhere or to get it or where do we go uh there's there's you know small studios around town but the presence i feel like you know it's it's really hard for people to get out there and get in people's faces and go hey man check this out yeah i think especially when um there's so many people doing it, you know. Um, which you would think, personally, which I would think, would say, hey, there's a whole bunch of us that are doing the same thing. Surely one of us or maybe a, a group of us could get some shit together and like just cross-promote everything. Um, yeah, well, and I think a lot of people are busier with it than I would be in terms of um, going to conventions and marketing online and getting it on Facebook and all of those things. Um I think it's just really hard because I think often the people reading them are the same people that are making them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we read them 
or, or we make them because we're the kind of people that read them or yeah. whatever it is. Um, yeah, so I, I think it is difficult and there's, um, I guess, other than conventions, where do you see a comic book that you, you know, often they're in a plastic bag and you can't just browse through them in the shop and then yeah. even then, what you know, you're not just going past a comic book shop unless you're looking to buy a comic in the first place. So it's yeah. not really getting new people in. Yeah. Um, it's difficult. I think that now it has to be little short things on social media or on the internet. Those seem to propagate and then you get a book deal or something like that. But otherwise, yeah, I think it's um, you're in the community and, and it's all of us showing each other our work. But, you know, even that's very satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and how, how do you feel about promoting your work? Is it, a, is it something that comes natural to you? Or? No, I think I feel a bit sheepish about it. I don't quite know where it fits in or I feel mm. like I'm a bit shy and so I don't know anyone very well, even though I've been around for like a decade now. Yeah. Um, no, I'm terrible at it. I don't know what to do. I just print the book and then it's at home. Do you find that that's a, that's a symptom that most, most creators, particularly Melbourne, uh, are having issues with or have issues with? Um, I think that... Um, I guess I don't know the other ones that aren't putting them out there because they're probably like me sitting at home when all the conventions are happening. But I think my sense is that most people are more active in the community and sort of uh, sharing with each other a bit more. And, and I guess that gives you a bit more momentum and then you happen to get it out. You know, when I was doing more conventions and trying harder, I definitely got more traction and you know you never yep. know who you're going to come across and i think other people are doing that a little better than i am at the moment yeah, yeah. and so because you've you've done a few conventions from memory uh, and you've also done a couple of the indie ones as well uh what 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 is the difference for you uh the indie one seems to be more people that are there to find new comics and mm -hmm. to read indie comics and they you know they know that they're there because they like it i think at the big conventions you get lost in people that are there for TV shows and people that just want fan art mm -hmm. or um, movies and those kinds of things. It's almost a, a whole different culture. I feel like there's comic book culture around popular media mm -hmm. and then there's indie comics and zines and people that just like making each other laugh a bit and yeah. a bit of crossover between customers. And yeah, it's it feels very different. So what's your general attitude? Let's say you go to a convention. Have you ever gone to one where you haven't been exhibiting? Where I haven't been exhibiting? Mm. I think I might have been to one where I wasn't exhibiting, one or two. Um, I think... I guess I get a little bored at the at the popular culture ones because I'm not very... I don't read a lot of Marvel, Marvel DC. Um, I'm not that kind of comic book person. Yeah. Um, I love going to the indie ones as a customer as well, as a punter. Um, yeah, there's always so many good things, and I come back with a billion little mini zines and bits of paper, and it's great. Yeah, I, I, I've often thought that, particularly with the, the with the pop culture uh, conventions, I, I've I'm of two minds. Like, you go to one, you've pretty much gone to all of them. Yeah, and it feels a bit like a shopping mall sometimes. It's exactly what it feels like. And, yeah. and I find that increasingly there is less and less for me to enjoy there. I'm not seeing anything new. If I want to go to a shop or if I want to buy something, I'll go to a shop and I'll go buy something. But that shop being at the convention in that sense doesn't really enamor me. Uh, I'm not one to get photos with people that I've just met. Um, albeit, you know, when I was younger, when I was drunk, I would have done it all the time. <laughs> but for, for the time, you know, at this point in time, you know, I like to keep those people in my TV screens and just they can stay there. I, you know, I think there's there's a lot to be said for uh, having a conversation with someone. But in those kind of situations, I've always found it, found it a little uh, disappointing, I suppose, because you, you say hello or, you know, you pay you know, you pay good money to meet someone for five seconds to take a photo and then you're done. And, and you they've get done it 900 you. times and, and they have done it. it. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And so they're, they're just, it's just putting on a smile, taking a photo uh, where, and, and, you know, that's great for people who love it and, and, you know, more power to them. If that's what they love doing, if they love looking at their wall with pictures of, of people who are on TV, that TV shows that they love, man, Go for your life. That's amazing. And I hope it really does bring you happiness. For me, 
I do find them lacking, particularly of late whenever I've gone to some of them. You know, not only am I looking for something new, but, you know, the, the comic creators always stash down the back or, you know, I've got to really look for them. And then they're mixed, mixed up with a whole bunch of fan art people and people who don't actually write comics. And I've been to quite a few over the years and um and i started getting narky so i stopped going <laughs> because i would bitter. yeah well that's the thing too and i know a lot of people who who have similar sentiments and so it's it's really tough because at the same time i think this is great because it's introducing a whole bunch of people uh, people who would never or otherwise not know that this stuff exists and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger but i still feel the commercialization of it really detracts from where it all started where you know it's like, is it translating to comics? Is it translating to people buying your book? I don't know, and I don't think so. And that's where I, I do think the indie comic conventions uh, that are starting to pop up are great, and I'm a, I support them 100% because I go in there and, and there is something in there that I've never seen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think they're more about discovery, whereas I think the big pop culture ones are not about discovery. It's about seeing things that you already know and love. Yeah, celebration. Yeah, celebration. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so that's why, you know, for, for people um, – that really love the show or the series and they connect with those things. It's really exciting because it is a celebration of the thing that they love. I, I, um, I think I just don't love the same thing. Um, so when I go there doing my little weird indie comics, no one's there for that. Really. You know, a few people. Um, and they're very expensive to table at. So, and quite tiring cause they're all weekend. Whereas, the indie ones, I think people are there because they like discovering new things and they like feeling a bit weird and you tend to do a little better. And they're shorter, so, you know, I can go and get a sausage <laughs> afterwards. Because you do, yeah, some of those bigger ones, you do need a team. Yeah, you Like do. you go there and, and in some respects, some of the, you know, a couple of the really big ones will have, I think they've already started treating some of the comic guests as, uh, particularly if there's some of the bigger names, as um, as part of the part of the convention, so they're including them now, uh, even some of the Australian creators, and so they've got you know they're swapping them out, they're allowing you know minders in, but you still got, if you're on your own, you've still got to have a team, you still got to have someone who's going to be able to sit in there and not be bored or not be rude, uh, you know it's it's really tough, it's a really tough game. Yeah, I I'm running out of friends to con into <laughs> doing it because um, I always I get there and then I think I'm always setting out to be really disciplined and I'm going to be focused and talk to people at the table and sell my work and then five minutes in and I just want to get up and talk to people and say hello and I'm terrible at it. (laughs) (laughs) Would you work digitally? Uh, As in illustrating digitally? Absolutely. Um, I would. I've tried it a little bit. I'm not very good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a different – I mean, I I don't know the difference because as far as I know, drawing is with a pencil and a piece of paper – but um, but more and more people are moving towards digital, and I'm seeing you know now with web comics and stuff like that, you know you can tell the difference in the line work in the in the way that they're drawn. Yeah, I uh, think you can definitely tell the difference. Um, it's I, I think I tend to not like the aesthetic of the drawn things as much. They mm-hmm. tend to be a bit smoother, or something about them feels different, or yep. has less weight or character. But that might also just be because I'm getting old, and I'm like, oh, it's different and yeah, i don't like this that new media um <laughs> yeah so I, d- I don't know i think i think i need to practice it more for myself to get better at it maybe if i if i want to be good at it you know i always say i always find myself saying you know i don't do that because i'm not good at it but you know i'm not good at it because i don't do it yeah chicken or the egg yeah um so yeah i'd like to give it more of a go i just find myself getting bored of them or less attracted to them for whatever reason mm-hmm. little lizard brain doesn't connect with it as much yeah <laughs> so that's a no then it's not as much for me yeah yeah right. even though it's a lot easier and from from what i can tell from what i've seen um, uh it seems to be a hell of a lot easier and I, like you're raising mistakes oh that uh, side of it's so much easier but i think for that reason you end up doing it forever and ever i feel like with pen and paper you get to a point where you're like if i put more pen on this paper it's <laughs> gonna be a mess <laughs> but with digital you can just keep going you know you can make it even more perfect and maybe that's why it always ends up really smooth and and lovely yeah, right. i think you can go down a further a deeper rabbit hole digitally 
have you entertained or are you ever looking at getting on to web comics or doing doing your uh, doing Zombolette or any of the other projects uh, in online? Uh, I would definitely consider it if the right project came up. I think the way that I write Zombolette and that I have for so long, um, you know, designing or crafting each page is is a piece in itself. Mm-hmm. So the way that I think about it in my head is for a page of a certain size and I think that that is the way that the story flows in terms of its rhythm, the way that I think about it. But if I thought of something that worked for an online format, I would do it. I think oftentimes they work better um, as lots of little short pieces or it just has a different pacing to it because you're not turning a page. It, it sort of – it's a little bit more endless. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you lose the page rhythm. There are a few cats out there that actually release release their work page at a time. Yeah. Have you ever thought of doing that? If the right project came up, if there was a story that I thought worked for that, I would definitely. But I think nothing that I've done so far would work that way. Um, maybe one of the new little things that I'm thinking of, maybe Mushroom World. Scarlett, thank you very, very much for being uh, an amazing person and thanks for coming in and talking thank to you. us here at Graphic Nature. Good luck with all your new projects and uh, I'm waiting for the next uh, issue of Zombolette. Thanks so much for having me, Zoran. And that's the end of this, the very first episode of Graphic Nature, the podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use. uh, It'll be uh, greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts regarding the show, feel free to send an email to feedback at graphicnature.media. You can also catch catch the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more information about the show, you can also visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing into your handy web browser or search engine, graphicnature.media. Thanks again for listening, and uh, you'll hear more from us in a couple of weeks. Thanks a lot. Bye. Credits! Written, produced, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio consultation, Dan Moore. Credits announcement, Simon Winkler. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham versus Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast. <laughs>